go with me to the gospel according to Mark, chapter 8. And uh, I just want to begin this way. It's a new week. Whatever happened last week uh, has already happened. (laughs) There's no going back and redoing anything. So, not that we have to forget it, but um, it is behind us now. And it's a new day. This is a new week. And the very first thing you're doing today, and joining us online as well is to worship the risen Christ. I think that's the right way to start off a week. That's a great place to insert in brackets like amen, right? For anybody that doesn't know exactly when to say amen or give that feedback that Bruce was talking about. Um, I, uh, I get that from my father, by the way. He gives a lot of feedback when he prays or when you're praying. So much so that it distracts me, to be real honest with you. If you've never heard my dad pray... Like, even his uh, encouragement while you're praying is, like, louder than what I could do at screaming. So, um, but it's a new day, and we're ten days into our Lenten fast. Ten days. So, you've had ten days of fasting. That's not counting the Sundays, remember. And so, we've got uh, 30 more to go. Uh, We're going to do this together. We do have those booklets that... um, Pastor Bruce mentioned, they're actually out here on our welcome table. Please take them. Like, if you don't have one, grab one. If you, if you meant to get one for, say, your kids or something, and we only sent you two to your house, uh, which we only sent it to the adults, please get them. We actually bought those. They're, they're I don't know, we, we think they're like $5 a piece or something, maybe less than that. But we want to use them. There's no good sitting there, you know? So, like, these uh, kids that are in here old enough to write and read, go ahead and grab them. Anybody that didn't get one, go ahead and grab them. And uh, give them out to people as well. It's a, it's, we want it to be a, an evangelistic tool also. Super easy, very self-explanatory. So as we continue during this, uh, if you will, spring cleaning called Lent, we want God, we invite Jesus to come in and clean up house. Uh, and our house being, of course... Um, our body, our soul, and our spirit. And if you're anything like me, your garage gets junky over time. I don't really know how things accumulate there, but they do. And ever so often, like right now, I need to get in there and just like clean up stuff, throw stuff out. I mean, there's all kind of crazy things. I pulled out this morning and there's some kind of ball that's supposed to go in the shoe to refreshing it. You know what I'm talking about? These little refresh balls or whatever. It was underneath my truck in the garage. Like, what is it? I don't know what it's doing there. It's misplaced, okay? But this happens to us spiritually, doesn't it? Things get misplaced. Our scripture reading gets misplaced with something else. The time that we would normally spend in intercessory prayer for people gets misplaced with the busyness of life. And Lent comes along, this spring cleaning comes along, this opportunity of 40 days, 30 left, don't feel like you're left out just yet, jump in and ask God to do some cleaning. I know I need it. I got both hands up. All right, well, so my sermon today, uh, I gave the time, Bruce does this thing about alliteration all the time. It comes very easy to him. He's also very poetic, and I've always wanted to be that, but aren't, am not, and um, he can like write a song in no time or poem, all this is kind of cool, but here's the thing, I, I, I try to alliterate now more than I used to, and 
So I had two different sermons I was going to preach. One is Christian circumcision. That's a tough one. Uh, not for me, but for you. <laughs> um, because I already know a lot about that. Actually, I teach on it regularly in my class for World Religions. Um, but it makes people uncomfortable. Let me just tell you, it makes everybody in the room just uncomfortable. So I, I did not choose that one because our text today actually had to do with that, didn't it? Uh, it's, it's Abraham, right? And so you get, you get that whole story there and the covenant and all of this. And so, well, the other one is this, and this is the one we're going with this morning. Cruciform Christianity. And cruciform is just to say cross-like Christianity. And so... What is a disciple? There's a lot of ways to answer that. I think here in Mark chapter 8, words that we've already said this morning, I want to revisit them, is the clearest teaching Jesus has, my opinion, on what it really means to be a disciple. What it means to follow him. Notice in 8.31, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. He's not any longer parabolically saying this, metaphorically saying what he's about to say or what he has said here. He has to suffer. He must suffer and be rejected and be killed and then rise again. It is in that sequence. And I think that uh, we're not, a te- you know, the, the student is not greater than the teacher. If our teacher and Lord suffered and was rejected and died so too we will. We must. And then rise again. Resurrection life only happens after death. So let's break this down a little bit because this is a very important point in the Gospel of Mark. It's really the apex. The book's been moving upward in this direction. Peter, you remember, makes this confession. You are the Christ. We talked about that. And that's when things begin to shift. Jesus says, okay, good. Now we've got my identity out of the way. You know who I am. I want to teach you more about me. This is when he introduces and begins to teach them about suffering and his death. Notice he begins teaching them because this is going to be a lifelong lesson. Suffering is confusing for us. Another great place to say amen. If you're suffering in your own life right now, it is a confusing time. I can guarantee you that. It shakes us up. It's like we get sucker punched and we don't really know which way to go. We might not even have correct vision. Suffering has a way of disorienting us. Well, Peter, (laughs) right after he plainly says, I've got to suffer and I have to be rejected and I'm going to die, going to go to Jerusalem and die and resurrect, he says, 
he takes him aside, which is the right thing to do. You know, when, when you got a problem with somebody, don't air it out publicly, but hey, uh, let's step over here and let me have a conversation with you. And he says, that's not going to happen. We're not going to let you die. Like that's, you know, things are moving up. Like we're, we're going someplace, man. Like that, that let's not, why, why be a Debbie Downer? I mean, I just kind of said the right thing here, Jesus, you know. Like you were the Christ, right? Let's celebrate that for a minute. And Jesus says, really, I think some of the strongest words that could ever be said to somebody and not just totally kill them, and that is, get behind me, Satan. Because in the voice of Peter was no longer the voice of the Father, you are the Christ, but instead, according to Jesus, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. He that quickly stepped back into thinking in terms not of the kingdom of God, but of the kingdom of man, where power and position rule the day, not suffering, not decreasing and self-denial. And so he then calls, notice verse 34, the crowd to him with his disciples. So now he gathers people around. He's about to say something important. He said to them, if anyone would come after me, notice, if is conditional. If anyone, and actually the Greek here says, if anyone would desire after me, if your desire was for me, then come, come after me. What is our desire? We can measure some of that, can't we? In where we spend our time and resources and treasures and talents and all the things that we do. Even last week, I think we could look back at last week and begin to measure what do we really desire? Is it comfort? Is it pleasure? Is it ease? Is it just to make it to heaven because well, it sounds like a pretty good thing, but no relationship with Christ? Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to desire me. What is it that we desire? And then he says, come after me. And you say, well, then, then what? Like, what do we do to come after Jesus? Well, he says it plainly, doesn't he? He doesn't mess around. If you, anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Self-denial is crucial to being a Christian. In other words, if we want to follow Jesus, he's clear that we have to deny ourselves. Now, let, let, let's be clear here because the church has oftentimes like the church universal, has oftentimes gotten this wrong. And that is, we've swung the pendulum on two extremes. If, if you will, two ditches that we don't want to fall into. One is to say, oh yeah, like, you know, indulgence is the way to go. Like, we want to get as much in this life as possible. And those who are, it's kind of like the prosperity gospel, which is to say, if you're prosperous, like, that's the ultimate goal. No sickness, you know, no, no financial problems, no suffering. But that, I mean, how many Bible characters had any of that? 
Certainly not Jesus. So prosperity is, is not what we pursue. We don't say because we follow Jesus, we should be king of the world. Like that's dangerous. Um, and, and the other extreme, swinging the other way, is asceticism, which is this idea of self-denying of the flesh that, that matter is evil. So the Bible never points us there. It doesn't demonize the material world because who created the material world? God did. And what does God say after he creates the material world? He says it's good. So like our bodies are not sinful in themselves. Nothing about your body is sinful. This is something that, you know, in, in having the bird and bees conversation with your children as they're growing up as I am and have to, continue, you know, I begin to teach them these things. We say, this is good. God made it good. He made your body like it is. And it's good to him. And the, and the material world is good. So we're not saying in self-denial, Jesus is not calling us to deny the material world. Look at it again. If anyone would come after me, let him deny what? Himself. Jessica did a bit of preaching this morning to me in a text message. And uh, she said, you know what I thought about? She said, how I clean the house and it looks really good and looks really spotless. But then when you look really closely and start digging deeper, there's a mess. Kind of like sin. Do you find that in your heart? You find on the outside we look very appropriate and fine and dandy and cute, put together, but just below the surface, just below the surface there may be a serpent in charge, sliding around in our life, ruling and reigning. Friend, that's not the Christian life. Jesus must be victorious, not us. Not us. This is not our kingdom. This is not my body. It was given to me. Your children, given to you. The house you live in, given to you. We are stewards. And we will be judged... In the end, according to Jesus' own words. Nobody likes to be a doom and gloom preacher, but have you read Jesus? Like, I'm serious. He talks more about people's money and what they do with it and more about people's personal stuff than I like to do, for sure. It makes me uncomfortable. But it's an indicator. It's an indicator of what we desire. And it's an indicator of who we trust. You know, um, we've had to trust God with money situations in our life, Jessica and I. And one of the things we, we have purpose to do is that when things get tight and don't look good, 
we start giving more. No, not a whole lot. I mean, like more, more to you is like maybe, you know, $200. It's like, no, but I, I throw an extra 50 on top of that. Because who do I trust? And, I, and listen, you know, it may fail, or, you know, that process may fail. It's not God that fails. It's because, you know, it also has to do with how we manage our money and steward it. But, like, so far, he's always provided. And I, I'm just being real frank with you for a moment. Financially at the church, we've been at ease for a long time. We are not any longer. I'm just going to air that out there because most of you here are members anyway. And because of our construction, we have invested into the kingdom. But last year, we had a lot of people to move and uh, leave for various reasons. That created a vacuum. And so we still had our operating cost on top of what we believe God called us to do. And that was to rebuild. And you've been seeing that rebuilding. Now, I say that only to give you some of the stuff I'm living in right now is God is asking me, are you trusting me? Because what I find is those things begin to dominate my mind. And I want to go handle it myself. And I've been (laughs) on more than one occasion this week challenged by the voice of God through other people to wait. Wait. It's not going to be you, Marshall, that saves the day. It's not going to be you, how you figure it out, that ends up saving the day. I am going to come through. But let me just tell you, that's hard to do when it comes to your money. When it comes to my money, our finances, or our church's finances. Jesus says, deny yourself. That's who needs to be denied, not money. Money's good. Your house is good. Your car, good. Your body, great. It's in here that's the problem, the human heart. And there's just a great prayer that we pray at our 8 a.m. service every time. It's called our collect for purity. You probably heard it before we said during communion. Almighty God, to you, all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you, no secrets are hid. Then here comes the therefore, even though it's not in the text. Therefore, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts. Oh, think about that. That metaphorically doesn't even line up, does it? The thoughts of your heart. I thought the thoughts of my mind. No, no, no. See, in the, in the, in the Hebrew, the biblical understanding, the heart is the centerpiece. That's why you say to your loved ones, I love you with all my head. No. I love you with all my hand. No. I love you with all my heart. Heart's the center. Where's your heart today? Where's your heart today? What what does it desire truly? If if it was laid open like this, all desires known. No secrets hid. 
Cleanse all of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. What a prayer. And you can pray that every day, and I, I need to. He then says, after you deny yourself, and you're willing to do that, if you come after me, then you have to deny yourself, then take up your cross. And in the Greek, it, it, it's, it's kind of interesting. It says, and let him take up the cross of him. Which is to say, you take up the cross of Christ that he has laid before you. You know, we, uh, if you notice, we put the cross back up. Things are happening around here. This room is almost completely finished. Thanks be to God, you know. Uh, whew, hallelujah. Um, just celebrate for a minute. And so Bruce and I wrestled this thing out of the storage area up here on the stage and then couldn't get it hung earlier in the week. And so then I came and tried to wrestle it up uh, on Friday by myself up here, struggling with it. Couldn't get it uh, hung up right then, so I had to come back on Saturday with my sons, three of my sons, and we wrestled the cross up. And one of the things I felt like the Lord was saying to me while I'm bear-hugging this cross is, Marshall, I have a cross for you to bear, and I want you to embrace it. Let me tell you, there's no good, dainty way to hold this thing. There's not. You, you have to, like, bear hug it to get it up there. That's why people, when they carry a cross, it always is draped on the shoulders and kind of, it's just, there's no good way to do it other than to embrace it. My cross isn't your cross. Your cross isn't my cross. If it were, all of us would be up here preaching right now. Thankfully, that's not happening. God has given you your life. Your people in your life. A certain amount of resources in your life. Various gifts from the Holy Spirit. But if we just receive that and say, thank you, appreciate it, I'm going to continue to live my life, we're not bearing our cross. The cross leads to what? Death. And when Jesus calls us to bear our cross, he calls us to suffer for the gospel. Not just to diet. Not just to lose weight or make our life a little bit... To receive new life. We're not just tweaked. We're changed. Transformed. Born again. That's the language of the gospel. You're to be a new person. In Christ. Marshall Lawrence Dagg. Crucified. No longer he that lives, but Christ in me. Twenty-two years ago today, 
Justin and I was at a retreat and God showed up in a powerful way. I won't recount the whole thing, but it's the night where I gave Christ everything. Now, I was a Christian, five years old. I received Jesus into my heart. I lived the best, uh, you know, student could live up to that point, trying to do what was right and, you know, loving Jesus, trying to put my faith in him. And I know Justin remembers this well, but there was a revival that had happened in Toronto, Canada. And there was some music that had come out of that that was, that was pretty, you know, Pentecostal and is super Pentecostal, charismatic experience and all. And I was looking for something. 17 years old, you know, had a girlfriend. Life was pretty good as far as, like, you know, it could be. I mean, I have a great childhood and awesome family, if you know my family. Like, I don't deserve any of that. But he gave it to me. But I was restless, searching. And every night I would just listen to that worship music. He remembers it. Because he would listen to me listening to it. <laughs> because his room was like right over there, you know. And I didn't know, but the Holy Spirit was preparing me to take up my cross. To die to myself. And he propositioned me on February 28, 1999 at 8.30 at night. As clear as you're sitting in front of me. That kind of clarity. Transfiguration sort of clarity. And I knew I had two paths. I could go my way. Who knows where that would end up. And, and to be honest with you, like what I heard in my spirit was, I will still try to woo you to my way. Like It's not like if you choose today, but who knows what will happen to you. Or you can give up everything. Girlfriend, the music I had at the time, which, you know, like, I listen to that stuff now, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's not, like, it's not. But at the time, I needed to bear my cross, friend. Do you see? Food, fasting, like these things that we fast from, these are good things. But sometimes we need to bear our cross and kill them and let them die so that we can enjoy them properly. Sin has a way of growing into our life like a cancer. And even a little bit of sin is really bad. If you've been able to identify, if the Lord has been able to place his finger on something in your life that's sinful, you're like, ah, that's, that's not that big of a deal. It's just this one thing. That's like somebody saying, yeah, I've just got like a little bit of cancer. That's like, really not that good because it grows and left unattended uncut out it's going to kill you and it's going to hurt other people around you that's what sin does it ought to make us angry it ought to make us ready to visit the doctor Dr. Jesus the great physician but what you're going to hear when you come to him is this, deny yourself, take up your cross, 
you know, what do we think about when we think about Jesus? Like, what, in your mind's eye, when I just say Jesus, like, surely there's an image that pops up. For most of us, maybe we have a favorite image. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, I don't know, a considerate teacher. You know, he's kind of got his legs crossed like, yeah, great point. I, I like that, friend. Or maybe it's reigning king and all this regalia, this beautiful kingly, regal outfit. Maybe it's a fraternal brother. We feel a brotherly love toward Christ, which we should. He is our brother. Maybe loving husband. Maybe we see this charismatic Messiah that when he spoke, man, people really just listened and wow. Or maybe a fiery preacher, you know, like we Bring it, baby. I like my toes to be stepped on, you know. Some people, some people like that kind of preaching. You know? They love it. Like, oh, yeah, mm, makes me feel good. <laughs> they do. There's actually a couple of you that do. So. <laughs> no, maybe not in this room. I got somebody else but too. But um, good shepherd. What about this image of Jesus holding a lamb, you know, and he's got his staff? Like, that's a beautiful just, wow, he's the good shepherd. We just read about that, too. Sung about it, one. Eternal Son, glorified Lord, great physician, rescuing Redeemer, the Lion of Judah, the resurrected Jesus. How do we see Jesus in our mind's eye? One way we must see him is this crucified Lord. Is lamb slain? Is bloodied Savior? Now I know that's raw and all you people are very proper. I'm sure you've not bloodied any animals in your life. I mean, you know, maybe except for maybe some of you hunters, and we still, you know, ooh, this kind of nasty, you know. And, and that, sure, but at the center of our faith is a cross. You ever thought about that? The center of what this table means is a cross, a sacrifice, a lamb. Slain, blood, body. You know, this is why, by the way, the Catholic Church uses crucifixes rather than just crosses. Now, we Protestants use the cross and we, we say because he's no longer on the cross. That was one and done and now he's resurrected. And I like that too. That has a theological meaning. But so does a crucifix. A crucifix, you know what a crucifix is, right? It shows Jesus on the cross suffering and dying. Typically super skinny, almost naked, in pain. It's very uncomfortable, actually. It's very uncomfortable to behold a human being treated like that, suffocating on a tree. Laid open for all to see. John, the beloved, though, when he writes his gospel, he says that when John the Baptist saw Jesus, what was the first thing that came out of his mouth? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. A lamb slain. And then he overhears in the book of Revelation a song in heaven. You remember this? Worthy are you to take the scroll. And open its seals. You were slain. 
And by your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And again, he overheard again with a loud voice, by the way, this time, worthy is the lamb who was slain. So in other words, the vision in heaven now that John saw was a lamb slain, a crucified Jesus, a Jewish man slain, bloodied, still retaining wounds from his crucifixion. That's the Lord we serve just as much as the regal king. Now, he's all those things at once, right? He's the lamb (laughs) slain and the good shepherd who leads the lambs. He's the one who takes away the sin and dies in our place as the sacrifice. That's why he's the one mediator between God and mankind. The only one. And his way is not the way of power, not the way of position, not the way of the world. Instead, his way is the way of the cross. It's the only way that Jesus offers to be his disciple. He's the unblemished lamb of God who takes away our sins. Marshall's sin. And I, I knew that when I was five in the way a five-year-old brain could know that. I knew that at 17 in a way that a 17-year-old brain, which wasn't very impressive, um, especially looking at now a 39-year-old brain, but also heart that still is unimpressive. Still scratching the surface of who Jesus is and who he's calling me to be. Where are you? Isn't that what God asked him in the garden? Where are you? Are you in hiding? You look great on the outside. Look, to me, you're doing well. Look great. But it's not up to me, friend. I'm not going to be there at the end. I won't. I'll stand where you're going to be standing. What have we determined in our heart? Paul says when he came to Corinth, and that was a like super intellectual city. And, you know, as an intellect, you want to, you know, stretch your wings every once in a while. Like you get people in the room that, that you know, know some of the stuff you know, then it's like, oh, man, I'm about to, I'm about to lay down. I can imagine Paul saying, well, I'd like to do that, but I know what these people need. And you know what he did? In Corinth, he determined, the scripture says, to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. He determined not to know anything but Christ and his cross. What have we determined this Lent? Just to sort of tip God, I'll give up a little bit to you. I'll give you, yeah, you know, I'll do my best. He's not asking for your best. He's not asking you to give him a little bit. He's asking for you to take up your cross and give it all. 
every bit of it to him. That's overwhelming. I get it. I know. It is. But it's the only way. That's all that's being offered. If you would follow after me, desire me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and then follow me. Because if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it, Jesus says. If you play it safe, you won't get safety in the end. Now, I like to play it safe. Anybody that knows me knows I don't like to go into a situation that I don't know pretty much everything before I get there. It's just like the way I like to do things. I don't like to make decisions that I don't know the outcome of. And God isn't asking you to be reckless. He's asking you, he's asking me to count the cost. What's it worth? Following him. What's it worth to pursue whatever it is you desire? What's it worth in the end? Your soul? How do you put a label on that? Is anything worth more than your soul? And then finally he says, because if you're ashamed of me, then when I come in glory with all the angels and saints of God, I will be ashamed of you. Have we, have you, like me at times, maybe this week, been sheepish about Jesus? Embarrassed about our faith, about our crucified Lord? Have we tried to avoid the way of suffering, the way of the cross, the way of rejection? Because we wanted to fit in? Fit into what? That's the only thing we're made for. All of it. Him. Just like this. Not hiding. There's nothing to hide when you're there. Instead, let's embrace the cross. Let's deny ourselves. Let's prostrate ourselves before God Almighty. Let us kneel before Him even now. Don't be ashamed today to come down to this altar, as we would call it, these kneelers, and kneel before God. If, if He has pricked your heart, if the Holy Spirit has said anything through the words that we've said today and the songs we've sung and the confessions that we've made... Don't leave this place before you say, I desire you, Jesus. And whatever cross you would have me to bear, I want to do that. I, I don't know what it is for you. That's why I don't, I don't have specifics. For, I'm never good at application anyway. I just leave that to the Holy Spirit because I, I don't know how to apply it. All I know is there is a cross with your name on it. And it was written by him and in his blood. And he's saying to you, I want you to take that cross and bear it for the sake of the world like I did. And I know this, that when you do, and when you die to yourself, 
Only then will new life spring up. It's not because we're so smart. It's not because we're so methodical. It's not because of our genius or our position in this world. It is only in Christ that we will have life. And the life that he has for us is the way of the cross. It's a cruciform Christianity. But there's joy there. There's pleasures forevermore. It's not a downer message because the Bible says that because of the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Now that's backwards, I get it. It is backwards. But it's not by our power or our might. It's not by our wisdom that we're saved, but by his. Do you trust his wisdom? If you do, desire him. Come after him, denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him. Don't be ashamed of him. Don't lose your soul. Come out of hiding into the light. Get out of the pigsty of sin and come home. The Father of lights is waiting with open arms. His Son has shown us clearly that he wants us. That he's ready to forgive us. Eager to forgive us. I'm never eager to forgive anybody. The Lord dumps a dump truck load of forgiveness on me. And I receive it like that. Eat it up. But then when you mistreat me, I might do a little droplet of forgiveness. God help us. Help us to live the way of the cross. When Jesus is on the cross, Father, forgive them. Now, I've got to repent. So I'm going to lay myself before Christ, the crucified Lord. And I invite you to do the same. As we look to him for new life, let's repent, believe, and walk with him. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. I'm going to ask Rachel.